Alright, so we started with this question, what do you want? What'd you guys say? What, what, you, you, can, you can answer for a friend, okay? Yes, Jonathan. Wait, printed what? Historical awesome. A million dollars. Yeah. Go to a good college. Okay. Okay. Yes. Really good at everything. So like, you want to be really good at stealing stuff too, right? And really good at getting away with it. No, I'm just joking, Sam. Sam, that sounds awesome. I would love to be really good at everything. Christian. Huh? Food. Yeah, I want food. What else? Anyone go a little bit deeper beyond the immediate what I want? Yeah. I want to go to heaven. That's a great answer. I want to go to heaven. Yeah. I want to live and have fun doing it. Good answer. What else? What do you guys want? Caleb, what do you want? A successful future. A successful future and a good night's sleep. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That oh. was the first thing I said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, Mark? You want to be with your dogs? Oh. <laughs> awesome. Well, there's only a few more hours in church here and then back with the dogs. <laughs> Unless you're talking about past dogs that are in heaven now. No, okay, good, all right. Sorry, that was a little morbid. <laughs> what do we want? Okay. Well, guys, it's a simple question, right? Aaron, you can, this is great. I love the chemistry here, but let's come back to the group here. Okay, it's a simple question, has huge implications, right? What we want in life really, really, really matters. What we want more than other things matters. Right, because we all want lots of stuff, right? There's, there, there's like a hierarchy. We, what do we want more than this? Some of you are like, I, would, I really want another cup of coffee, but between that and something else, I might choose something else, right? It will shape how we live life now, and it will shape where we spend eternal life after we die. So what you want really, really matters. How we answer that question really matters. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that idea of what we want, okay? But first, we're going to jump into this passage. It's a long one, um, and we want to wrap our heads around it, and then we're going to come back to this what we want topic, okay? So we're going to be in John eleven forty five. This is where we left off last time. And we're going to read all the way to the end of chapter 12, okay? So it's kind of a long bit we're going to go in here. You guys remember what happened in John 11? What's, what's the one huge major thing that happened in John 11? Yeah. Yep, and what did Jesus do? And then what did he do? And then he brought him back to life. Actually, that's a perfect summary. Perfect summary. He did nothing! And then he brought him back to life. Right? Good. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to read John chapter 11, verse 45. Here we go. Follow along. It's going to be a longer section, but it's it's interesting here, so listen along. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, a.k.a. raising Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. Right? Many people believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, 
what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That might sound a little bit weird. Like, what's the connection there? Well, the connection is, if everyone starts following Jesus, like he's the Messiah, like he's the ruler of the Jews, word's going to get to the Romans. The Romans aren't going to be happy to hear there's some like uprising among the Jews. And so the, the Romans are going to come and they're going to smash Jesus and all the Jews. But notice how they say it. Um, they say he will come and take away both our place and our nation. So here's the, the, the present rulers are getting a little jealous here, right? And, and we're going to lose all that we have if people keep going to Jesus, okay? But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now that sounds a lot like the gospel, doesn't it? But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying like, Jesus needs to die on the cross for our sins. He's saying, don't you guys realize it's a lot better for us to kill this guy so that the Romans don't come and wipe out everybody. But look what John says next. This is, this is John talking to us. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from the, that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So he, in, in other words, he didn't really, really realize the significance of what he just said. He just told us the gospel and he didn't even know it. He was just trying to murder Jesus. Okay? That's how God works, first of all. You see that? Like that's God's sovereignty over man's evil plans. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Lazarus, the dead guy, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus, imagine that, the dead guy, was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him who also, on a hymn, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many were, of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, 
The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, that means written in the Old Testament, a prophecy, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, Who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for... They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come, did not come to the judge of the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken of my own, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, 
what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Okay. So I know that was a humongous passage, so let me boil it down really quick. As we read the Gospel of John, John has actually set it up kind of like a courtroom. And in John chapter 5, we see Jesus kind of goes on trial because he heals someone on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees start saying, what right do you have to do this? And Jesus has this long talk about bearing witness. It's, it's my works bear witness about me. The Father bears witness to me. This is courtroom language, language like a witness comes in and says, I saw him do this, he did this. So John has put us in a courtroom as we watch Jesus. And as Jesus does sign after sign after sign, the question is, what's going to be the verdict? Is he the son of God? Are they going to follow him or are they going to reject him? And at the beginning of our passage, when we hear Caiaphas say, you guys don't know anything, we just got to kill this guy, the verdict has been rendered. Jesus must die. Okay, so in the courtroom of John, that's the verdict. Jesus must die. All right? So that's what, how it begins. And then Jesus is immediately after that, he's prepared for burial. How? Well, Mary puts that ointment all over his feet and wipes it with her hair, and she's preparing him for his burial, preparing him for his death. At least that's how Jesus interprets it, right? And then Jesus is received as king as he comes into Jerusalem, right? We have that triumphal entry. All the people are uh, doing what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. Okay, they welcome him as king, and the religious leaders see that they're gaining nothing. And then Jesus declares that the hour has come. And what's the hour? The hour is always in John, the hour of his death, right? The hour of his glorification, the hour of his death. And then John ends by explaining why is it that everyone rejected Jesus? They all saw his signs, and they still didn't believe in him. And he says, actually, it was prophesied that this is how it would happen in Isaiah. Okay, it was prophesied that they would see and they wouldn't believe, that their hearts would be hardened. So there's about a million things that we could talk about from this passage. Right? So let's focus it down with that question that I started with today of what do you want? What do you treasure? That's kind of going to be our guiding focus as we look at our passage today, all right? Oh, and one more thing to say about our passage. John 12 is like the middle of John. So I'm going to, Pastor Ray is going to teach next week, and then uh, Jeff Goodman's going to teach, and Josh Kloss is going to teach after that. Um, and so John is split from, we've, we've been following Jesus, he's been doing some teaching, some miracles, but in John chapter 13, picture Jesus taking his gaze from the world and showing the world who he is to turning to his disciples. And now he's going to focus on his disciples and speak directly to them for a lot of the rest of the book, okay? So that's kind of the shift that's going to happen starting next week, all right? So these words that we hear from Jesus in John 12 are kind of his like last words to the whole world. I'm the light. Believe me, you won't be in darkness. That's the end of the story there, okay? So here we go. Got a couple of points here. So question one for you, and we're going to look at it in the text here. How have you responded to Jesus so far in your life? How have you responded to Jesus? Now we see a bunch of responses to Jesus in our passage here. Who, who can pick out a response to Jesus that we've seen in this passage? Let's make a list. Yeah, Sam. 
Okay, and who, where did that kind of come from? Pharisees. Yes, Pharisees, one response, we got to kill this guy. Good. Okay. Perfect. Hesitant belief. That's a great way of saying it. Um, it says there in uh, chapter 12, verse 40. No. Uh, yeah, 41 to 42, 43. That some people believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, right? So we've got that response. What other responses do we see? Anything else? Yeah. Okay, and who did that? Okay, so we've got the crowd with the palm branches welcoming him as the king, worshiping him as he comes into town. What other responses do we see? There's more. Who else is in our chapter? Mary. Mary, yeah. And Mary, she anoints his feet with the oil, right? Wipes it with her hair. We've got that response. Any other responses? And who, who is that coming from? That's in verse 39. Yeah. Yeah, so like people didn't, they saw his signs, they still did not believe in it, right? One more that comes to mind. Same story as the Mary part. Who else is in that story? Yeah, we got Judas, right? And Judas's response to Mary's actions is, oh, are we going to, all the money just wasted. That's a response to Jesus, just as it is to Mary. So the question is, how have you responded to Jesus so far in your life? And let's look at a couple of these responses and ask the question, where does my life line up with these responses, okay? So let's start with Mary. Mary, she has this this bottle of perfume, and this kind of blows our minds that a bottle of perfume could be so valuable, but it says it's worth 300 denarii, and it's real easy for us to figure out kind of an idea of what that is because a denarii is what you would make in one day. So this is how much money you would make in 300 days, all right? So that's like most of a year's worth of, of work, okay? So let's say a pretty conservative estimate, $25,000 is a pretty conservative estimate to the value of this bottle of perfume. $25,000 bottle of perfume. We don't know where they got it. It could be something that was handed down from generation to generation um, that often would happen, and it would be, it would be kind of like your insurance policy, or if like you guys ran out of money or something went really bad with the business, you'd sell this, and it would save your family. Or it may have been something that, that Lazarus and Martha and Mary like pooled all their money and went and bought for this dinner, that we really get the sense that this is not like Jesus came over for dinner that day, but this is a dinner for Jesus, for bringing Lazarus back from the dead. This is an honorary dinner. How can we honor Jesus for bringing our brother back from the dead? Can you imagine asking that question? <laughs> like you invite someone over for dinner who brought you back to life. Like how, what should we serve? Probably something really good, right? That's, that's the idea here. So they get this $25,000 bottle of perfume and she pours it on his feet and she wipes it with her hair, wipes his feet with her hair. And at the end of the day, what Mary is showing us is this. She treasures Jesus. Jesus is her treasure. He's worth everything she has. So a $25,000 bottle of perfume, totally worth it. 
totally worth pouring over Jesus' feet. The question is, do we treasure Jesus like that? What's that mean? What's it mean to treasure Jesus? Is Jesus your heart's desire? In Romans 8, here's what it says. It says that we are heirs, heirs of God. An heir, we're going to inherit something. We're going to inherit, it tells us in Romans 8, we're going to inherit God. Now that, for some of us who've been in the church, that might sound kind of weird. I'm going to inherit God. What does that mean? Why, why is that so good? It means we're going to, when we die, see God face to face. We're going to be with God. We're going to be wrapped in his arms of love. We're going to be filled with a knowledge and understanding of God that we never had before. And here's the question. Is that good news to you? Is that awesome? Is that like, oh, are you getting what your heart desires when you inherit God? Or are you prone to say, whoa, it's kind of ho-hum. I thought heaven was like mansions and sports cars and good food. And However we answer that question shows us what we treasure, right? Like if, if, if our picture of heaven isn't God and us inheriting him in fullness, then actually we don't really treasure God. We treasure those other things that our hearts are going to, like streets of gold and mansions and sports cars. And that's what I thought heaven was. So do we treasure Jesus like Mary did? Is he our treasure? Or, on the totally opposite end of the spectrum, we've got Judas, right? So Judas sees $25,000, poured out on Jesus' feet, and he says, what a waste. Now what does that say about his view of Jesus? He's not worth that. He's not, he, he, he is not valuable enough for that. And we see clearly here that it's not because he cared so much about the poor, but because he wanted the money for himself. That's what he treasured, himself, and the money that would serve him. Now, if you do a little comparison here, Judas ends up betraying Jesus for who knows how much. Anybody? There's like three or something. There's like the cost of a slave. Okay, 30 is the right number. Yeah, 30 pieces of silver. So if you want a comparison, 30 pieces of silver is about $1,000, okay? So he sees $25,000 poured out, he can't believe his eyes, and for 1000 bucks, that was the price that he needed to betray Jesus, okay? He valued Jesus less than $1,000, okay? So Judas, what does Judas treasure? He clearly treasures money and himself and serving himself. And then we've got the people that Elijah mentioned here as, as having this hesitant faith, which I would kind of put in this middle road, right? These people who it says they believed in Jesus, but out of a fear of what would happen to them if they said anything, they kept their mouths shut because they wanted the glory of man more than they wanted the glory that comes from God. So if that's our spectrum, if we've got Mary over here, treasures Christ, we've got Judas over here, and we've kind of got this middle-of-the-road people who, you know, they, they say they believe in Jesus, but they don't really want to say that they believe in Jesus for fear of what happens. The question is, where do you fall? Where would you put yourself on that spectrum? Do you treasure Jesus above everything, or do you not treasure him at all? Or do you treasure him enough to say that you believe in him, but not enough to say to other people that you believe in him so that they would know that you're a follower of Christ. 
Well, to answer that question, I think we should ask a second question. Why is Jesus worth treasuring? Okay? Because that, that's where we need to go, right? You, you might be like, well, I need more information. Why would I treasure Jesus? So why don't you take just one minute, look at your Bible, find one thing in this passage that would suggest Jesus is worth treasuring. Okay, you can do it with the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. Why is Jesus worth treasuring? Just in this passage, yeah, John 12, 11, beginning of, end of 11. Alright, what do you guys have? Just one thing you saw. What what makes Jesus worth treasuring from our passage? Yeah, Sam. Okay, well he raises dead people. So there's that. Right? What else? Okay, he is the king of Israel. And and if we kind of look at the context, he's this long expected, awaited for king of Israel, this Messiah. He's here. He's come. Okay? Okay, so it is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. What verse is that? 23. 23, okay. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So Jesus has come for something, right? He's come for something really, really big here. And if we look at the next verse, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much And as we look at the whole context of this book, we realize that's Jesus. Jesus is the one who came to die in order to bear much fruit. Okay? He's going to give his life so that a lot of people can live. So there's that. Good. What else? Verse 44. Yeah, 44. Okay. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in me. He's sent from God, right? God sent him. This is the one guy that God sent in all of history in order to do this, to save us. Okay, awesome. Anything else? Okay, I know that his commandment is eternal life. So if we follow the commands that God has put in the mouth of Jesus, that he's communicated to us, the result is eternal life. 
eternal life, life forever. Awesome. Anything else? 46, he says he is the light of the world. Okay. He's the light that's coming to the world. So when you don't remain in darkness. You don't have to go around in darkness anymore. Awesome. Right, I'll list a few more here. Um, he came to cast out the ruler of this world. So we all live under the power of the ruler of this world, under Satan. And Jesus has come for this hour to cast out the ruler of the world. He's come to draw all people to himself, so he's not an exclusive savior. He's come not just for the Jews, but for all people. And I think that's the connection of why it is the Greeks who come and ask a question, who are not Jews, that gets Jesus to say, I've come to do this for all people, right? So all people can come to me. In other words, Jesus isn't going to talk to these these Greeks right now, but he is going to die for them so that all the Greeks and all the Gentiles and all the Jews can come to him. Um, Yeah, he puts his light in us so that we might be sons of light and not stumble in the darkness. He's the one who shows us perfectly who God is in verse 45. Verse 49, he's the one who speaks God's words to us. So Jesus is infinitely worth treasuring. That's the point here. So how have you responded to Jesus in life? Do you treasure him? Do you not treasure him? Are you somewhere in the middle? No matter what your answer is, Jesus is worth treasuring. Infinitely worth treasuring. So here's the next question. What does it look like to treasure Jesus? I think Jesus gives us a little snippet of it in verses 23 or 25 and 26. Let's read that real quick here. Jesus says this, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is, shows up in the other Gospels, and it's generally called the cost of discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus calls people to give up their lives and to follow him. In other words, he calls people to be like Mary. Who, who breaks a jar that's worth $25,000. It's probably her inheritance. It's her security. It's her hope of a good future to break it and pour it over Jesus' feet and say, you are more wor- worthy and, and valuable to me than anything else in the world. And to not be like Judas, who is shocked at that and who thinks, oh man, if only I had my hands on that. That's where the real money is. That's where the real value is. That's where the real treasure is. So treasuring Jesus, he describes it as hating living for yourself and loving giving up yourself in order to follow Jesus. So another way you could say this is when you start treasuring Jesus, you don't live in a way that makes sense to the rest of the world. And as a high school or middle school student, there's so many ways that you can already start living this way. Okay, so I, I was just doing a little brainstorming. So first of all, What do you do with your money? That's a huge way to start living for Jesus. What do you do with your hard-earned money? Like you mowed the lawn and it was 95 degrees and you nearly died and you only made 20 bucks. What do you do with it? Do you do something totally unexpected or do you go blow it at the popcorn shop so that Alec can have it? All right? How do you spend your money? 
Um, here's a way to, to, to start treasuring Christ and do something that doesn't make sense. Spend your time serving and loving those younger than you rather than chasing being like in the in crowd with those who are your age. So what would that look like? That would look like I'm going to give up spending time with my peers so that I can come and, and serve people who are younger than me and love them and be Christ to people younger than me. That would be, that, that wouldn't make a lot of sense in the teenage world and how things work. Or how about giving up an activity so that you can spend more time with the Lord? That might be time in the morning with the Lord by yourself. That might be a, a Wednesday night so that you can be at youth group. It might be a youth camp, right? So much you be like, do you know what my coach would do to me if I missed X, Y, and Z to go to youth camp? Well, here's a question. What would your coach think about Christ? Where would the co- your coach know your treasure is if you were willing to say, yeah, I know I'm going to be sitting on the bench for a week because I went to youth camp. And this isn't just like a blind plug, like you guys really should be a youth group moment. I'm going to let you guys decide what you need to do. But just think about where that shows your treasure is. When you're like, I'm not going to do something that I enjoy doing or I'm going to get trouble in for my coach or my, my music teacher if I don't do it. I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to go where I can learn more about Christ because I'd rather do that. I'd rather know Christ. I'd rather sit under the word. I'd rather sit with Christians and and discuss God's word together than go and do this other sport or music or whatever the activity is. Make more money, go into my job. Okay? That's what it's just, just a beginning of what it looks like to treasure Christ. Or we've already said the opportunity to get involved in efforts to reach your school. Man, that is like a high calling. You want me to not only say I'm a Christian at school, but then to lead some sort of outreach so that everybody knows, yeah, I'm the weird Christian guy or girl at school. You know what that says? That says I treasure Christ way more than I treasure whatever I would get from keeping this hidden. I love the glory of God way more than I love the glory of man. Okay, so wherever you are on that spectrum, like I don't treasure Christ, or I, I really treasure Christ, or I'm probably most of us in the middle somewhere. These are ways that we grow in treasuring Christ. We make decisions like this and say, you know what, I want to treasure Christ more. Um, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So if you make the decision to treasure Christ, the Father is going to honor you. And I called to mind Romans 8.31, which says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When the Father wants to honor you, he wants to give you all the good things that he intends to give you. He gave you Christ already. There's so much goodness that God can give you to honor you if you choose to treasure Christ. As we finish up, last question. What can we do if we don't treasure Jesus as much as we should? I imagine that's where most of us are today. I, I realize I'm not as far down that spectrum as I want to be. What do I do? I'd be curious how you guys would answer it, but I'll tell you how I answer it. You ask. You ask God to change your desires so that your treasure changes. So let's end 
by doing that very thing. Our Heavenly Father, we see this magnificent picture of what it means to treasure Christ in the example of Mary. Lord, most of us never have had our hands on $25,000. And if we did, I imagine that for most of us it would be unthinkable to pour it all out in one go. Maybe even unthinkable even to pour it all out in one go on your feet. Lord, change our hearts. Change our hearts so that we're like Mary, so that we would see that as, as an honor. That were we to have that, to turn around and give it right back to you would be the joy of our hearts. And, and in doing so, we'd be throwing away the assurance that we would not be bankrupt someday. And yet it would still be a joy because we would treasure you more than our own security and safety down the road. Lord, I pray that you would kick up that type of treasuring of Christ in the hearts of these students and in my own heart so that we do things that don't make sense for the sake of Christ so that you get the honor that you deserve, the glory that you deserve, that we would love the glory that comes from God more than we love the glory that comes from man and so that the Father might honor us and may that be our heart's desire. I pray this in Jesus' name.